0: Wife are here from Cookville, Tennessee, to join with us today. And we love it when people come by. And you are always welcome. You can send us an email at info at rsafeharbor.com so that we can tell you where to park and how we can shuttle you into the worship here. And that would be a treat for all of us. We have visitors here today from Cookville. We have visitors from a visitor from Tucson, Arizona. We have people all the way from Paris. Tennessee, um, <clears throat> which is a haul from here. Come on, it is. What? What's an hour and a half or an hour, something like that, right? So, um, it's it's still Paris. We're counting it as Paris, Kirsten. Uh, we're counting it as Paris. Okay, gotcha. But it's always great. Now, and if you live in Middle Tennessee, we could use your help uh, because the team here is a very thin team, and we would like to train some others. And you're welcome to come every Sunday, join us with lunch. And also learn how you can be a part of a local team here to keep this going out, as Ray said, all literally all over the world. This is um, this is going to be a different kind of a my story, your story lesson. I need you to imagine that you are you are a Bronze Age people, with all that entails. You have no concept of science. You have no concept of time as we demark it by years and such rather people uh, there are people who still live in a bronze age in this world and they will they don't know how old they are but they will tell you they were born in the time of and they will name an event this is a, these are people that only know their group but they also know something else that their life is nasty brutish and short as the poem said and that they have come up against what may take their life. For the second time, the Israelites have come up up to the barrier of the Jordan River. They came from the east knowing that it was at this river that their fathers failed and that their fathers and mothers and all of those bones are in the desert behind them. And this river is in front of them. 40 years ago, A great national failure of faith took place. And now it's their time to face this river. Unlike other ancient people, they didn't worship rivers. But they did believe in gods and spirits in the rivers. Let me explain this. Many people have referred to the Jewish people as monotheist. And eventually, yes. But if you read through scripture, they speak often of other gods. And they will say, our God is above all other gods. Our God is greater than other gods. But they believed that there were other gods and that those other gods were very, very dangerous and powerful. This barrier was the home, and they all knew it, of gods. One of the chief gods that lived in the River Jordan and guarded the people behind it who worshipped him was a man that I grew up, uh, rather a god, that I grew up calling Baal. I've recently heard people who are much smarter than me say it is Baal. I'm going to still call him Baal because I, I, don't, I feel like going Baal sounds pretentious after I've for 60 years mispronounced it. And besides, I don't believe that he exists, so I don't fear his wrath. How's that? But Baal was a god of that water. Because he was a God of water, floods, and the storm. And the time of year where you are walking up to this river to try to do what your fathers failed to do, this river is in flood. The River Jordan is a very twisty river. So when it's in flood, it, it breaks or bursts its banks. Water will suddenly wash over like a levee. It'll wash over and and the topography changes dramatically. People where there was solid ground, it's now mud. It's not quicksand, but it has the same effect. The Philistines believed that Baal would protect them. That water would protect them. And even the Israelites who believed their God was supreme would have been very, very, very nervous facing this river. So let's flash back to another story. We'll tie them together. The creation story is a very interesting passage that we tend to rush over to get to creation, not understanding that there is no creation without this particular passage. We know it from most versions reading like this. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, I can't read that without chills, but it's because I know some significance there that seems to get missed. The contemporary English version of the Bible says it this way. The earth was barren with no form of life. It was under a roaring ocean covered with darkness. But the Spirit of God was moving over the water. I think we missed the drama there. The ancient Jews, as well as almost every single people of that age, believed that spirits lived in the water and these spirits were not good. Almost without exception, and there are some exceptions, river spirits were looked upon as antagonistic to human beings, dangerous to us. This love-hate relationship with water puzzles us, but it was an important part of the theology of the time because, of course, we need water for life, but we get too much of it, we drowned. We wash away. We know in uh, Tennessee right now, in fact, there are a couple of counties that uh, are on the verge of being labeled extreme drought. We got some rain last night for the first time in quite a while, uh, and I think we're going to get a little bit more rain today, but they're saying not much. Some of you have been in extreme drought for the longest time. You know we need water. If you're out in Nevada, you're out in California, you know that the reservoirs are lower than they have ever been before. In fact, in Nevada, they're finding crime victims that they had forgotten about because as the water goes down, the bones are being uh, recovered. But other places like Western Tennessee a couple of years ago, or just over a year ago in Waverly, and then eastern Kentucky have received so much water that they have washed away whole neighborhoods. And of course, the storm of Hurricane Ian recently. Does that help you understand the love-hate relationship with water? They need it, but they can't control it. They didn't go swimming for fun. You might think, but they were fishermen. This may shock you. Very few fishermen swim. If you go to, for example, Africa, Somalia, Djibouti, that entire horn of Africa, nobody swims. They are terrified of the water, but they go out on the water because that's where the fish are. And if you hear interviews with them one after another, we'll talk about the anxiety and the racked with fear about going out on the water. That was who these people were. Whoever pleased the gods of the water would have life for as long as they please them. But here in the creation story, we have chaos with an empty earth, covered, pounded, swirling, stormy, powerful, terrible waters. But another player has entered. The spirit of God is now moving over the waters. The Philistines thought their God was a God of water, so they'd be safe. The Israelites were about to discover that their God was God of desert and water. This may surprise you to know this, but even in the Old Testament, you, you find it time and time again that they feel like they will win if the battle's in this territory, but maybe not over here, because they've not quite understood that God is God over all the earth. In fact, what do they call him? The God of Israel the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was more of a family local God. We know different because we don't live in the Bronze Age and because Jesus has come. That's why it's so hard to go back into their mindset with their fears, their worries, looking at the water ahead of us. The psalmist would later celebrate the fact that they found out that God was a God of water and storms as well. In fact, he would say that God has destroyed the monsters that live in the deep, as was read. Psalm 74, verse 12. And by the way, the notes are always put up there by Kirsten on, on YouTube. And if you don't watch on YouTube, you watch in another app like WhatsApp or the like, and you need the notes, you can always email us for those notes. You can just go to our website. The email links are right there. Uh, we will send you the notes. We don't copyright any of this. I've, I've had more than one preacher come to me and say, you know, I'm really sorry, but I got to admit, I've been preaching your sermons for the last three years. And I'll say, that's all right. I stole everything I preach from these guys that wrote this book a long time ago. So it's all right. But Psalm 74, the re- and we're not putting up the scriptures because I want you to hear them, but you can go get the notes and they're there. But you, O God, are my king from of old and you bring salvation upon the earth. It was you who split open the sea by your power, you who broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you that crushed the heads of Leviathan. Yes, a many-headed dragon was the way they thought that God was, and gave him as food to the creatures of the desert. See, that's another thing he did. When you killed your enemies back then, You didn't kill them and then give them a nice burial. You scattered their body about so it wouldn't have a burial to humiliate that enemy. Well, God had done that, that middle bronze age battle talk to the demons. It was you that opened up the springs. In other words, it wasn't Baal or Baal or any of the others who brought us water. It was God. It was you who opened up the springs. You dried up the ever flowing rivers. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. Now, God's not a narcissist. He doesn't need us to sit around going, oh, you're really wonderful. You've got control over water. What the psalmist is doing here is saying, wow, it was, it was you. We didn't know it was you. It was you. By the way, who's the Leviathan? Uh, the Jews didn't write a great deal about demons or Satan, but they understood something about them. And as their theology progressed... And got a real boost in Babylon because Babylon, they talked about demons all the time. And that gave language to what the Jewish people had been experiencing. And so they could, anything past Babylon captivity, you'll see Satan mentioned and demons mentioned and gods mentioned. Because they pick up the language that they can now use to express what they've experienced. They viewed these demons, these gods, as competing gods demonic powers that tried to wrestle control away from God, even at creation, those waters, it doesn't necessarily mean H2O. Even though, yes, science now says we've all, we were all underwater at one time and agreed, the water there to the Jews wasn't a scientific fact. It was a statement of the competing gods trying to destroy what God was creating. Water was a symbol of life, but most often in scripture, water is a symbol of chaos. When the psalmist was depressed, he portrayed God as allowing him to be overwhelmed by water. Randy Gill wrote an amazing song called Deep Calls to Deep, and that was one of the songs we thought about incorporating today, but we will bring that into the play very shortly. Uh, Not today, but shortly. Psalm 42, verse 7 Deep cause to deep, in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have washed over me. He believed that his depression was being caused by God because of decisions David had made and he needed to repent. He was being brought low by the water that God had run over him. Whenever he's rescued from certain death, What does he say? You plucked me from the waters. Psalm 19. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents, heavy waves, of destruction overwhelmed me. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy. See, the waters and the enemy are conflated here because being beaten on the battlefield is being overwhelmed by waters the demons of the waters, any depression or illness. That was the chaos of the waters. Isaiah would use the same symbolism uh, symbolism because he too lived in bronze age, moving into iron age. And he used it to describe what happens when God removes his protection, which is the worst curse God can ever do is to withdraw his hand and just leave you open to the demonic forces. In Isaiah 5 and verse 30, he warns in that day, they, the waters and the demons in the waters, will roar over it like the roaring of the sea. And if one looks at the land, he'll see darkness and distress. Even the light will be darkened by clouds. Again, when the levee breaks and all is washed away, The fact that our God is greater than the gods in the water was news to them and celebrated throughout the Psalms. You see it again and again, this this idea of, wow, you're the God that can beat the gods of the water. In Psalm 89, O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea when its waves mount up, you stilled them. You crushed another demonic monster of the waters. You crushed Rahab like one of the slain. With your strong arm, you scattered your enemies. You killed a god. Now, those of you whose concept of gods, other gods, comes from the marvel and DC universes need help and options and a trip to the library. The, uh, a lesson in physics would help as well. Physics is good. Embrace physics. It's embraced you. Um, and if you fight it, you will lose. <laughs> anyway, um, Rahab was another, like Leviathan, another name for a very powerful, demonic, waterborne dragon with many heads. Which, side note, makes it even more fascinating that they saved a woman named Rahab at Jericho. And then the next time we see her, well there's another time briefly, but the next time we see her in Matthew chapter 1, God brought her into the lineage of Jesus Christ. So not only is Rahab now a name that doesn't mean demonic monster, when we say Rahab, we think of the woman who risked all for God. God redeemed her and her name. Wow. I remember once, I don't know if mom, my mom's here, and I don't know if she remembers or not, but my dad once uh, did Bible studies and baptized a guy with the last name Pagan. And dad said, you should really change your name. And he didn't. And I've wondered about that my entire life. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe God can find a way to redeem that name as well. I don't know that we should change our name, just change our allegiance. But then again, um, who am I to tell him what to do? By the way, if you want a one-stop shop, there's not really one, but the closest to it would be Psalm 124. Psalm 124 is a story about how God delivered us from evil brought upon us by a flood. The gods of the water in Psalm 124 did not go peacefully. They fought back. There are hints of this in a song that we sing often called Oceans. In Psalm 93, this is referred to and it goes this way. The ocean rises, O Lord. The ocean rises with a roar. The ocean rises with its pounding waves. The Lord above is mighty, mightier than the sound of raging waters, mightier than the foaming waves of the sea. Now, mightier than the sound. Just to explain. Uh, to explain there's a, why do lions roar? They roar to freeze their prey. Why do ancient battle cries exist? It was to chill and freeze your prey. We all know the fight or flight response. What you may not know is that by far there's another response. that is neither fight nor flight. It is freeze. And that's the killer. When I work with police and training police, we have to get past that to one called flow. And that takes a while. So that when you hear the mighty noise, you don't blink and you don't go, you don't freeze. Rather, you respond. And that can only come by training. And in our Christian character, it can only come by training as well. That whenever a demonic thing comes against us, whether it is um, of spiritual or whether it is physical, whatever the challenge, we don't freeze. We're not afraid because our God is greater than the sound. That wants to freeze us. Isaiah celebrates. That God killed Rahab. And so it's not just in the Psalms. Rahab's also in Isaiah. Isaiah 51. Verses 9 and 10. Awake. Awake. Stop freezing. Clothe yourself with strength. O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days gone by. As in generations of old. Wasn't it you? Who cut Rahab in pieces. Who pierced that monster through. Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea so that the redeemed might cross over? Now do you understand the story of the Red Sea? It wasn't about water. It was escaping all of the demons that had plagued the Israelites. That's what the plagues were about. The Egyptians worshipped the sun. God blotted it out. They worshipped the Nile. He turned it to blood. They worshipped the earth. He made it crawl with lice. The, all, every single one of the plagues was an attack upon one of their gods. Yes, even the frogs. They had a frog-headed god named Heket, who was the god of the midwives who were ordered to kill the Hebrew boys. And God showed him, you like frogs? I can give you frogs. Somebody's in charge of frogs and it's not Hecate. After all of that, crossing the Red Sea was not a switch in focus. It was a continuation of theme. These demons can't touch you either. Come on. Don't freeze at the water. Move forward. We are directed to go toward this God, this one who's out of reach of the demons. Psalm 32 and verse 6. Let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Again, the psalmist wasn't quite yet understanding what Jesus would tell us later. Lo, I am with you always. So He's saying, jump while you've got the chance. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. So grab God because he's not going to get wiped out by the flood. So it's not going to be like Uh, the ending of Titanic, and by the way, it's not spoiler alert, you've had your chance, and besides, before the movie came out, we knew how it ended. I don't, I, I, have actually not seen the movie because I knew how it ended, so I was going, there are no surprises, but I've seen clips, and there was plenty of room for Jack on that, that board. Plenty of room. He could have got, he could have brought a picnic, but no, we had to have the drama there. Well, when you get in a flood, you realize that it's not just the water that kills. It's what's in the water. Years ago, not that many years ago, it was a decade and a half or so, a man in Florida who had survived several hurricanes said, it's just wind, and I'm not leaving. So he tied himself to a pole to show people that wind can't kill you, and he was correct. What he was wrong about was the stuff that's in the wind, and it killed him. The water. They were afraid of the water. And they said, grab God when you get a chance. Stories told, and I think it's a preacher story because it sounds too pat to be real. That a man was uh, doing a survey of eagle's nest. And so he's lowered down by a rope. And you pull the rope into the little eerie there, the cave, and it cut out. And you see the nest and you count the eggs. And he lost his rope. And it swung out. And it swung back. And at the first time it swung back, he jumped grabbed it. A friend with him said, it would have taken me a couple times to judge that. And he goes, no, you jumped the first time because that's the closest it's going to get to you. And preachers use this as a way of going, you know, be baptized now. And I'm, I'm all a be baptized now guy, but I don't think the story's true. It just sounds too pat. Could be. We could have some people who count eggs, also know physics. It could happen. But here's the thing. Think of the number of times water features in Scripture. It's staggering. I cannot list them all here because we we have lives and we have to prepare for next Sunday. But the creation story, water from rocks, crossing the Red Sea, crossing the Jordan, storm stories in the Gospels keep showing up, don't they? Jesus gets in a boat, what happens? Storms. Why? Demons. What, what happens when Jesus gets out of the storm? There's a man with demons here. There's a man with demons here. It's always trying to kill him before they get there. God walks, about how the, about the man who is, uh, who is crippled by some paralytic disease, and he doesn't have anybody to move him into the water when an angel troubles the water? Troubles the water. When a spirit troubles the water. Maybe there's something here we should learn. Before the people, excuse me, of Israel could claim the land of Israel, they had to step into the Jordan. They had to put their feet in the thing they most feared. They had to put their feet where their fathers would not. They had to break a barrier Not of water so much, but as of mind and emotion, culture and experience. They had to step out and do something completely new and what would appear to be quite reckless, very much like the setting up of our safe harbor. By the way, I got another message yesterday from another church that is putting its building up for sale. And they're reaching out and asking, how can we help our remainder? Can you work with us? And the answer is always yes. Always yes, we'll help whoever's there. But it could be that sometimes we have used our buildings as a place to camp beside the water so we really don't have to risk anything and step beyond that river. They had to confront their own personal demons and show their faith in a living God. And so do we. And that's not just establishing this. This is about baptism as well. There are people who will claim that my my old tribe pushed baptism too, too hard. And I would disagree. But what I would say is that they treated it as if it was a one and done thing. That once you're baptized, you're really good. You can coast. And no, it is just the beginning of your battle. Because once you cross the devil he's going to know you're on the battlefield and he's going to come. My entire life has been one of combat and I've lost a lot and I have um, not done well but I've won a lot as well and I look back in the rearview mirror and not one of those battles does, can I see why I won at all except for the Spirit of God was hovering over the water and hovering over the battlefield. By the way, do you remember that battle of Joshua where the days lengthened? Those are Hebrew phrases. And every so often you'll see on the internet, somebody go, NASA has counted the days. And they found this, this gap. Well, it must be. NASA can't count days. It's rubbish. We'd have to know when it started. And we don't. So just chill. The phrasing there doesn't indicate that the entire cosmos breaked. What it indicates is that God brought light. the battlefield until the battle was done. His spirit still shows, but you've got to be willing to, as the old spiritual song, one of my favorite songs says, wade in the water. You got to wade in the water. And as the line says, God's going to trouble the water. Your job is to step in. In those days, carrying the Ark of the Covenant was a great honor and among the carriers, the greatest honor was to be in front. I wonder on that day if they felt honored or if they felt terrified. I guarantee you they were frightened. Because these these are people. These aren't cartoons that are going, we shall now march into no, they hadn't gone to vacation Bible school. They didn't know how this turns out. They had never seen anybody successfully cross that river. Think of this. It had never happened. They were to be the first. We have a lot to offer the Christian world. We here at our safe harbor, one of those things we can offer you is this no matter where you are, get in the water, face your demons, fight them. You're not alone. If you are baptized, if you are immersed in water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when you come out of there, the Bible says that no longer does the Spirit hover over the water, the Spirit will have his residence in you. He won't even hover over you. He'll be in you. But get in the water. If you've never been immersed, if you've never been baptized, you let us know, info at rsafeharbor.com. We will find a way to get somebody to you. And by the way, if there are two of you, you can baptize each other because it's not about the baptizer. It's about the MRC, all right? Even uh, those in, in some, the tribe of many people here and the soundstage would know that Alexander and Thomas Campbell baptized each other. You can do that. And then let us know that you went through the water. We have to. We have to go in the water. Now, am I saying you can't be saved without it? I will never put a limitation on God. And I think God's going to save a whole lot more people than we have any idea. That said, why would you not? Why would you not go into the water with him? That's what these people had to do. And let him roll back the demons. Now you don't fight them on your own. I told the story before. It's, um, John, it's a John Ortberg story. He writes Christian books. Um, and many of you may have read some of his stuff. He and a couple of his uh, theological school buddies were in a car. And they were driving along. And they saw this big man just wailing on a little guy. And they had a discussion of what theology then requires of them, because that's what theology people do. And then they decided that God would want them to intervene. But none of them had ever been in a fight, because, did I mention, they were theology students. So they come out, and they they walk over toward the man with great trepidation. And and I imagine that they did what my voice would have done sometimes in my history, and that's turned into sheep voice, that, "Um, well... You know, um, but whatever voice it was, they were, they told the man that they really believed he should not be doing this. And the big man turned toward them and his face changed. His hands came up and he said, all right, I don't want any problems. I don't want any problems. And he's backing away. And their first thought was, we are good at this. <clears throat> we should be doing this. We should drive around and do this. And as they were congratulating each other, they turned around to hug each other and saw behind them the biggest man they'd ever seen. They realized it wasn't them, it was him. We lived on a what we call a mountain in West Virginia, but my wife from Colorado calls a small hill. <laughs> we're getting amens. I don't get amens in this crowd, except for things where my wife or my mother disagree with me. And and um, they hold up cards, and the whole crowd goes "Amen." Um, the um, it's like an applause sign on a sitcom. The uh, as we we wanted to convert, you know, everybody on our mountain right there, and we and so we wanted to befriend them as well. And one day, some people moved into the house just below us, and so I asked Duncan to go with me. Duncan was our son; about he was probably. 11 or 12 or 13 at that time and we took our um, our primary dog uh, we had we had a backup dog in case the primary dog ever failed to function but we took our primary dog a big hundred pound uh, lab border collie mix so we're walking down and the door flies open and out fly as if shot out of a gun three chihuahuas <laughs> now This is going to sound like a preacher story, but you can go and verify this, because I didn't believe it either until I verified it myself. All of these chihuahuas were in their teens. These were old, decrepit chihuahuas. One was blind. One was epileptic. I don't know about the third one. I think there there were some issues in its childhood, but whatever it was, these creatures came with foaming mouths in full attack mode, flying off the porch right at us. My big dog looked at me and I said, Don't laugh. Chihuahuas don't need help with their mental health crises. And my son asked, We had time, by the way, because there was this ditch with a bit of high grass and they were struggling to negotiate that, but you, we could tell that they were there. My son says, Why do they think they can hurt us? And I said, Son, I don't know much about a lot of things in this world but I know dogs, we're going to stop right where we are. And we stopped, the door opened again, and two big dogs came out, big dogs. These dogs could pull beer wagons, if you get my drift. <laughs> One of them had little dogs in orbit around it. He, was, he had his own gravitational force. And they both sat down on the porch and looked at us, and I said, now you know why these guys think they can kill us. They have backup. I will confess to you that when I wake up in the morning, I feel like a blind epileptic chihuahua. And there's not a thing I can do to face these rivers and drive the demons out. The good news is I don't have to. I just have to wade in the water and let God do his stuff. You can too. And if you've already been baptized, I bet you've got rivers to cross. When my father was placed into a nursing home, he, was, he had Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, he had heart issues, he was blind, he, he, he was dying of everything, and I put a sign on his door, it was just a piece of paper, a big print saying, my name is Bill Mead, and it told his story. He was a warrior, I was a missionary, I was this, I was born in abject poverty, and it ended with, I have one more river to cross. That went viral. We were interviewed for television about this. Hollywood stars were retweeting it. "I hope people started putting those signs on doors. They said they would, and by the tens of thousands, they said they would. But I'll, I often think of, how many more rivers do I get to cross?" And how many have I not crossed, but I need to turn around, and gird my loins and cross the river. Because it's not just from here to heaven. It's also what's keeping us from being the Christians we're supposed to be. What's keeping us from trusting God with our money, our lives, our children. What's keeping us so afraid of the world and so afraid of what's going to happen in the world that we forget to have faith in God and wade in the water. What drives us to such isolation? Acts 2.38 talks about baptism, and we all jump at that, but it also says that when we go into the water with him, the spirit of God goes in too, which connects us immediately to Genesis chapter 1 and a good third of the Psalms that mention the water. When we come up, he doesn't hover over us like he hovered over the apostles on Pentecost, like tongues of fire. No, he lives in. He stays there. We fear no false gods. We fear no gods of celebrity and power and politics. No. We don't even fear death itself. For God is now with us. And he is the God of the desert. But he is also the God of water, fire, and light. And he is our God. So whatever river we're going to cross... As the old song says, you won't have to cross Jordan alone. There are a lot of songs came to mind. I'm going to uh, adjust this a little bit, and then I'm going to move Mike.